My next guest grew up in Seattle in the late 80s, early 90s. He founded the hip-hop trio Diggable Planets. Their biggest song to date is called Cool Like That. Then, in the 2010s, he created Shabazz Palaces, which is an experimental hip-hop duo. To top it off, he's the father of Little Tracy, who was known for blowing up during the SoundCloud rap era with Little Peep. It's my pleasure to introduce Ishmael Butler. Smoking on the leaf pack And I'm about to cheat that, keep that Deep, I can see that Acting stupid, wrong place, but you leave back Going through these changes like I'm Fleet Mac She wants to possess me, I'm a Fleet Mac Many early losses had to eat that Mentality of bosses creep back I got like 20 years He ain't changed his raps down in 20 years like the path of crib, drinking beers, done so. I'm still falling, getting better like Lonzo. I could never sweat her. I could let her know I'm cooler than a fine so. Stelly's raise a glass, let the dawn pull. Think of all our niggas who is gone now. Sticky ear, no beers, nigga, you see them. I wear it, then they put it in a museum. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today I'm with a very special guest. The one and only, Ishmael. Butler. Hey. There we go. I'm What's happy up, we finally got to do this, man. Right on. Appreciate <laughs> you having me, baby. So my first question is, I'm really confused about your placement in the Seattle music scene. So I listened to a previous interview, and it seems like you grew up in Seattle, but you're also from Brooklyn or have ties in Brooklyn and ties in Seattle. I'm, I'm really confused mm. on your upbringing in music. And which city? Well, uh, I grew up here in Seattle. Um, I, I left um, when I was young, came back for middle school and high school. Okay. So I went to Meany, I went to Garfield, and um, then I left and went back east. After graduation, I went to Massachusetts and then ended up moving back to New York where I had Spent a lot of time as a kid with my father. So um, I'm from here, I grew up here, but my father lived in the East Coast, Philadelphia, New York, and I would always be back there in the summer times and sometime for the school year as well. Hmm. So that's why um, I got links to, to, to different places that are pretty substantial. So I see why you might've been confused by all of that. Got it. So yeah. then, was Diggable Planets formed in Seattle, or was that formed outside of Seattle? Yeah, Diggable Planets is, was formed um, in New York okay, and Philadelphia. And then um, Shabazz Palaces was formed in Seattle. Yeah, Sh- okay. Shabazz is a Seattle situation for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. The craziest thing about your music is, first of all, I'm someone who loves like the 60s and 70s and like how the evolution of hip-hop actually came to be from like sampling and records and everything like that mm-hmm. and the diggable planets was right in that era right so it was it's really i loved everything diggable planet stood for and then as time progressed to actually form into another group that is almost just as popular as diggable planet shabazz palaces and with that change you changed more into like this futuristic sound like how how did you go from being more of like boom bap jazzy rap 
to something like a, a Shabazz Palaces? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I mean, it's like growing up. You know, you 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 don't really somebody could see you at at um seven and then see you at 14 and then they'd be like, yo, how'd you get this big? How'd you get this tall? How'd your hair grow that much? But you was just going through the process the whole time. So you didn't notice it in increments. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It just was sort of an evolution. But I bet you um, a lot of it just had to do with um, the more music that I learned, the more equipment that I learned, the more sort of music philosophy that I became um, um, sort of um, attracted to was stuff that was um, more instinctive and I guess what you would call more wild or, or more far out. Mm. So as I got older, more capable and more mature, I just started making the music that seemed right and seemed natural to me. And it is what it is. You know? Do you, do you ever feel like you couldn't be this futuristic sound or different sound in the 90s was that kind of do you think that would have been like looked at as too different or too weird and not acceptable in a hip-hop room no nah, not really because 90s hip-hop you had to be like at that time we thought we were you know there wasn't no boom bat like like it was what it was nobody was calling it something in terms of how to identify it because it was already passed you know it was it was the thing you were doing at the time and you had to be different and original and a little bit something you had to do had to separate you from the other groups and stuff that was out there was a aesthetic that ran through everything because of just the stages that hip-hop was at but you know we thought we was we thought we were far out then mm. you know what i mean so it's always been about trying to be not necessarily trying to be different but trying to be unique okay going off your own instinct to make something that was uniquely yours rather than trying to copy something to fit into the landscape, you know? I'm slowly starting to learn about all these different scenes in Seattle. Like, I've always been in love with hip-hop, but, like, I just, I went to a pop artist retreat this weekend, and I just met all mm. these pop artists, and I'm realizing how I can feel that a lot of my very talented hip-hop friends may feel like misfits in the music industry, but then when I took a step back and looked at pop music in Seattle they're they're not even a lot of these pop artists in Seattle aren't even connected to the scene so they had to put on their own retreat and mm. be their own community and mm. I'm also trying I've always listened to jazz a little bit like I was in band growing up and I'm slowly learning about like the the jazz roots in Seattle when, when you were growing up in Seattle was jazz pretty prominent or do you think that helped inspire Digable Planets at all I mean it was not to a certain extent I went to Meany I studied saxophone under Wadey Irvin. He taught classical and jazz. So, you know, and then at home, my parents were into jazz, my mother, my, my grandmother, um, and in general, like all the people we knew, everybody liked R&B. And then there was a couple people that was into jazz. So you would hear it around growing up before I even really, you know, identified that music and stuff was something I was going to do for the rest of my life. So mm. I just always understood jazz as part of my culture, part of my heritage. And I liked, it. you know, I liked the cats that was doing it. I liked the way they sounded, the way they looked, the way their bop was. And I felt a kinship to it 
So, you know, back in the days in terms of like including jazz and rap, Cats wasn't really on it. Like, yo, I'm about to make some jazz rap. It was more <laughs> like you sampled. Everybody was always looking for the for a sample that nobody else had. So you was combing through records. And a lot of times some of the flyest shit was on jazz records. So, you know, you would go record shopping, look for the cool covers, and you would try to just find the dopest breaks and the dopest samples wherever you could. And it was often jazz records. So that's kind of how the whole fusion of jazz and hip hop really started was out of necessity to try to be creatively unique, if you ask me. Now, later on, some people was real determined about it. Like, yo, I'm about to make jazz rap. I'm going to do this and do that. But early on, like the cast that inspired me, Premier, um, Prince Paul, mm. you know, cast wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm specifically going to make jazz hip hop. It was just like they they was real, real deft at digging in the crates and, and finding breaks and stuff and flipping them. And that's how the jazz really got, got started in, in the rap music. So back to like diggable planets what i've been realizing with a lot of seattle artists anyone a lot of people that say they're successful or actually are successful from from seattle a lot of them say you have to leave seattle and then come back did you do you feel like you had to do that with diggable planets i didn't really feel like i had to you know um but when i was coming up you know so 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 after high school 17 18 years old at that time the the there was one sort of um, um, market that had already been established. And e- even then, that New York market was in the early stages. So New York was the was the mecca of hip hop. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, I don't care where you was from, you had to go there to sort of be close to the business aspect of things. You feel me? Because no other places had developed the infrastructure to support any kind of creative creativity in the hip hop scene a little bit in LA but New York was the spot you know mm. and it was just also kind of like the spot most of the artists were from there and also LA but I had an east coast um ties and, and had flavor out there and family and friends and all that kind of established so it was like yeah I'm gonna I'm go to New York and it was kind of like you know like if you can make it in New York like you had to make it in New York kind of you know what right. I'm saying? It wasn't like, oh, I got to leave Seattle in order to make it. It was just like, if you want to make it, you got to do it in New York. You know what I mean? So mm. that was my mindset. Um, at the time, there wasn't that much, um, like everybody loved rap here. Everybody listened to rap here. A lot of cats did rap here. But there wasn't like no labels or no clubs and that kind of thing that specifically catered to that music at that time. But as I said, it was early in America. There was very few places whose cities have flipped over to have a hip hop sensibility in like 88, 87, you know what I mean? 89. Wow. Not really. Yeah. So how old were you and like how old was Diggable Planets when you guys, did you guys, did Diggable Planets get picked up by Sub Pop or was that only Shabazz Palaces that got picked up by? No, nah, no, nah, Shabazz Palaces. That's much, much later. Okay. Sub Pop. But Diggable, we talking 90s, 91, okay. 92. Um, and we got signed to um, an indie label that was a su- subsidiary of a larger label. That's how they used to do it back then. Like mm. most of the hip hop labels were like small mom and pop type labels who would be like have an office up in the office building, you know what I mean? In, in Manhattan, it'd be like Warlock or Tommy Boy or 
pendulum or uh, sleeping bag records that would have, you know, artists. And then, then as that started to, the indie started to um, get picked up by major labels. So they would be subsidiaries of major labels still operating as they would, but then they had more backing, more money as videos and touring and stuff started to really become a big part of um, what, what hip hop was about and what was needed. So I um, got on back then with an independent label called Pendulum, which which was a subsidiary of um, Electra Records, which okay. was a bigger record, you know what I mean? Big, yeah. Bigger record company. So that's how it was back then. Wow. Do you think hip hop was ever, when it came to like record labels, it was ever like pure and no one ever really got screwed over in the beginning? Or do you think it's always been, you know, because you always hear these like stories in hip hop where like rappers take these crazy deals that end up fucking them over. Do you think it's always been that case or like when you started? Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like, I never looked at it like that. It's, it's like this. Back then there wasn't no YouTube, no, 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 no Twitter, no Instagram. So you had to go and, and really wasn't that many home studios either. So, mm. you know, a label would have to fork over a bunch of money based on your demonstration, your demo, fork over a bunch of money, put you in a studio, uh, get you a video try to get you shows. So they would end up putting out whatever thousands of dollars, 50,000, 100,000. So in their mind, they're taking a chance on you. So they're not going to let you participate in the, in the reaping of, 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 of what happens after the out of songs are released at a rate that's that good, because in their mind, they're taking risk. They're like, yo, I'm taking this risk. This guy's not really taking no risk. We'll take care of him a little bit, but we gonna take the lion's share of what's generated by what goes on, you know? Mm. And then you, you you take that deal. People say it's a bad deal, but it's the only ones that was really available at the time. Cats wasn't, nah, I ain't doing that, man. I need more money. They would just be like, all right, next. You know what I'm saying? So, but, but, the, but the idea was you come out, you work hard, you do good. The next time you go in for a contract, now you got more leverage, you know? They can't just do you like they did you before. You know, they can't take your publishing. They can't give you a, a, a short advance. They can't demand that you don't get this many points. You can ask for more points. So it's more like a merit system. And the more you participate and the better you do, the less they can kind of punk you or clown you or try to take money from you that you know you deserve. So I just looked at it like that. The first deal that I did sign, I mean, if you look at it on paper, it's, it's, it's whack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At the same time, nobody else was really trying to give me the chance to break into the industry like that. And um, I respected that and I appreciated it. So I just took care of what I could take care of at that time. You know? So music can kind of be seen as like if you're working a fucking office job and you're working your way up in the office in a way or? For sure. It's like any, any it's like it's like selling drugs or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you ain't got no money to buy a pack, Man, you you nobody gonna give you the work, you know what I'm saying? Unless they know for a fact you can get it off. So you gotta prove yourself. You know, that's why it's cool nowadays. If you're an independent artist, you can get streams, you can get Instagram followers, you can have your city popping by selling out shows at the local thing. And now a label come to you, hey man, we wanna fuck with you, we wanna sign you. And you're looking at them like, well, you know, that deal's not good enough for me. I'm already doing this over here. So you got to make the pot sweeter for us to partner up, you know? So that's one of the big advantages of, of nowadays than it was before. Back then, if you wasn't signed to a label, there was no, you didn't have no action. 
You know what I mean? There was no way to, to get out. You know, you couldn't get in the studio. You couldn't press up your stuff and didn't know who was going to play it, who was going to buy it, who was going to promote it, what store was going to pick it. Like, it was just different, you know? Do you think labels are still important? And with that, I feel like labels can still be important for older artists for sure because they've already built up that relationship. But for younger artists, do you think labels are important? I mean, if you take the label, quote unquote, off of what a label is, there'll always be places where people are going to need partners that have expertise, that have um, um, systems built to proliferate, you know? So if you take a label and if a label's looking at you like we're trying to do things the old way, you know, we get your record, we give you points, you get the record, then we go ahead and try to sell it. That's kind of an antiquated thing. But if a label's looking at it like a partnership and they're telling you, hey, we're bringing this to the table, we got these situations, we got these partnerships, we got these relationships, bring your music in, we can help you get uh, radiate out into places that you wouldn't have been able to do on your own by doing what we do. You do your thing going on tour, coming up with cool merch ideas, this and this and that. So basically, if a label can have at its disposal a team that can help an artist flourish, then then it's not obsolete. Mm. But if they're trying to come with an antiquated sort of look of exploitation and, and, and like that kind of thing, which it's very tough to do. You probably won't last that long if you don't adapt as a label in this day and age. But I'm sure some people are still trying to do it. But <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think labels are cool. They're definitely not as necessary as they were. Like I said, when I was coming up, if you wasn't signed to a label, it was independent. Was it was very hard to right. do that. Yeah, you, you needed a lot of money. Wow. Wow. So with being associated with New York and Seattle, which music scene do you feel like you understand better or connect with better even? Um, well, Seattle is my home, you know? I spent a lot of time in New York. I kind of grew up my, my adult life and young adult life in New York. So I got a lot of love and affinity for that place. The whole diggable thing happened back there. So it's like, that means a lot to me. But um, my blood, you know, is, is 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 Central District. You feel me, Seattle. So I really see myself as a world person. You know, like I took the game that I only could have got from the streets that I grew up on here in Seattle, you know, and the people that I was around, the young people that, uh, the older people that raised me, the young people that's my peers, and then the young generation that came after me. So regardless of where I'm at, you know, and I'm 10 toes, I'm a Seattle guy mm -hmm. and using the tools and the game that I that I copped here to do my thing wherever I'm at. So it's always starts from here, but um, I always like where I'm at, you know, wherever I'm at, I try to make the most of it, try to see the most and get the most out of it, try to stay observant and really childlike, you feel me, when I'm looking around and trying to absorb as much as I can, but I don't really like to compare situations like that because um, I don't think it really serves me that well. But um, Seattle is the spot for me, mm -hmm. even even though sometimes I want to get out of here and go see different things and be other places, get other flavors. But yeah, I rock I rock with with the town, 
pretty much. Was there like a specific intention when bringing like diggable planets to Seattle, basically, like with all these different, of course, there's like Shabazz Palace KXP performances, but there's also diggable planets. Was that intentional or how did how did diggable planets somehow being associated with Seattle come to be? Just from me being from here, you know, and, and, and me sort of founding the group and, and producing the music and just like people knowing that I'm from here and that kind of thing. But in terms of bringing, bringing the music here and performing and shit like that, like we just been fortunate enough to indigable to be able to like people want to see us perform, invite us to perform. And Seattle's one of the places that, you know, we get to perform at a lot. So it's just kind of like me being from here, but also people liking the music, those two things kind of meshing together to allow us to really be out here a lot and perform out here a lot and stuff like that. Do you think the KXP relationship came from being signed to like a sub pop? Because aren't they somehow associated with each other? Yeah, I mean, you know, just just sub pop being just the fly sort of Seattle seminal maverick kind of label that they are. Mm-hmm. KXP really starting out um, when they did and, and bringing the aesthetic that they brought with the uh, rock and roll, uh, alternative music, um, the rise of, of grunge, quote unquote grunge music and all that. Yeah, like I'm sure that relationship was kind of match made in heaven and, and remains that way. You know, even as Sub Pop expands its um, palette and its catalog to all kind of stuff, so so does um, KEXP. So it's kind of like brother and sisters sort of marching um, marching in step and, and flourishing together. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Why do you think Sub Pop's one of the only major record labels here in Seattle? Hmm. You know, I think I think people just get um um they think they think well first of all industries wherever they're established they want to maintain that establishment whether it's something you see them doing or not the record industry, they feel probably feel like, look, we got these places in New York, everything's there, LA, everything's there, you know? So once that was established, it's like what we call establishment shit. Like once something is established, the establishment doesn't really want too much changes from that. You know what I mean? So I think it psychologically was one part of it that it was just sort of stamped that, you know, New York, LA, cause you can't, you can't say, you know, Seattle got cool labels, but Atlanta, you know, like they got um, they got um, headquarters and stuff down there. But a lot of big cities don't have big record labels there. But, you know, mm. the record label that you that we do have here as being sub pop and being who they are, I mean, just to have one is, is pretty big, actually. But other than that, I don't really know other than sort of people just being stuck in, in their ways. Really. Mm. Yeah. Do you think stuck in their ways from like a business perspective or do you think artists like even these older artists in Seattle that haven't made it yet do you think they get stuck in their ways as well 
I think all kind of people get stuck in their ways. You know what I mean? It's a um, complacency, um, relying on on comfortable situations, um, um, not being open-minded enough to um, be able to pull inspiration um, over long periods of time. I think all industries, you know, suffer from from that kind of thing. But at the same time, what has happened here? what has been done here, what has been created, whether or not the world knows about it specifically, is still uh, a stew that feeds, nourishes all the stuff that comes out of here that that you may hear about, you know? So mm. I don't really see a hierarchy like, um, man, how come Seattle doesn't do what this place has done, this place has done, but I always try to look at it like, the uniqueness of what Seattle actually has done and has contributed and, and really um, find um, the respect and, and the pride in that more so than what hasn't happened, you know, here. Right. Which I respect what you're saying. I get it when you think of, you look, you look at, at it globally, but at the same time, Seattle's responsible for like, I mean, you could even just look at, let's say like, just different cats. Quincy Jones, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Kurt Cobain, all of the all of the quote unquote grunge artists, like <laughs> that's some of the hottest shit ever in the whole world. You know what I mean? And yeah. if, if 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 a city was able to get one of those cats into the pantheon, they would be happy and proud of it. But mm. we just keep coming with different stuff like that. And it's like, who can really say that? You know? Right. That's a very good point. I appreciate that perspective. No <laughs> so are you happy with the music scene? Like, do you ever go to like Seattle concerts or before the pandemic? I guess not really right now, even, th- even though things are slowly opening up. But like how how as someone who's older now, though, do, do you do you think it's important for you to have ties to up and coming artists in the Seattle music scene or go to these shows or? I mean, in my opinion, it is. I'm not gonna say what a, what another motherfucker should do, but personally, mm-hmm. I I feel like music is 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 about experience and energy for me. Like I said, not for everybody. So I do like to go out and kick it, in, and I do like to go see uh, groups and bands and go to parties and stuff like that. Because um, yeah, I am older now, and I don't do it at the rate you know, that I obviously used to and obviously feel different ways about some of the newer stuff. But I always recognize any limitations on something that's new, that limitations on fucking with it is in me, not the thing. You know what I mean? So I try to keep an open mind and rock with shit and and taste it and see, you know, try to, like I said, make the most of it or find the most in it. But, um, yeah, I like to go out and see groups and bands and all that stuff like that. I feel like it's good for your um, creative um, energy you know? and just for your life and you know it's, it's good to like stay active and move you know yeah yeah how, how have you stayed away from being just complacent and you're like you're obviously continuously evolving if you you just released a single like a month ago and that was everywhere everyone was talking about it right but then you came from an era where I'd probably say more than half your peers we're probably one hit wonders. And mm-hmm. then how, how, how did you stay away from just being a one hit wonder? 
Well, <clears throat> I mean, in a way, I, I still am a one-hit wonder because, like, Cool Like That was um, was basically the only hit, quote-unquote, that I really ever had, you know, in terms of, like, selling, becoming a platinum single, all that kind of shit. So I actually, um, I respect one-hit wonders because, mm-hmm. like I said, when I was coming up, like, <laughs> you... I would go to record labels with my demo tape. This is when they were just in office buildings and you would walk into the to the to the AR guy's office and he would have a, a stack of tapes six feet high off the ground and all that, hundreds of them, maybe even thousands. So if you did get through all of that, that gauntlet, somehow get signed, somehow get your record made, somehow get it pressed up, somehow get it released and got a hit out of it, you you did the dance, you know what I'm saying? As far as I'm concerned, if you didn't never do shit else. Wow. But for me, you know, I always knew that I really liked music. I like grooves, I like melody, I like dancing, I like just doing the things. So I done been through a lot of different um, career um, realities, up and down. But through it all, I always, you know, been into music and liking music. And, I don't expect anything from the music business other than what I work for and put into it, you know? So I just feel like, yo, just keep working and coming up with um, new stuff, putting it out, gravitating towards the people that dig it, seizing the opportunities that that come my way. And um, that's really not my outlook. Mm. You know? How do you, how do you find your like demographic and who's listening to you? Cause I, I know we keep, I really don't want to compare Dickable Plants to Bass Palace. It's just, it's just actually pretty. It's inspiring to me, and I feel like it's inspiring to other artists to feel, to find artists, who can reinvent themselves and still stay in the music industry. Some people try to reinvent themselves, and nothing comes of it. You know, so yeah. when do fans from Dickable Planets did they stick around for Shabazz mm. Palaces, or was it too different of a sound for some people? Some, you know, some, some like. So, you know, you <laughs> that's the thing, like, um, you know, it's it's fans, and then there's people that appreciate you. You know, a fan, a fan is just like, yo, like, a lot of times fans, that's why I never like to make the same thing over and over again, because fans might, they might be mad at you if you do something different than what you did before, feel me? So they're not really a fan, they just like something you did, the minute you don't do that no more, they like, I, I, you know, I ain't fucking with that no more, you know? So I don't really think about it. I feel like if you make your music and you put it out, those that like it will gravitate towards it. It's like a, it's like a beacon mm. that you put out sound, you know, and then people respond to the sound and y'all had this conversation and conversation could be in videos, then watching your videos to downloading your music, to coming to your shows, to all kind of stuff. But that's, that's the vibe. And that's the, um, and that's the conversation, but um, um, shit, I forgot what you asked me. Do you remember? Oh shit, I was just saying, have you, have, when you're looking at your audience and your demographic, yeah. how many people do you feel have stayed or how many new fans uh, have you gained from like the different sounds? That's interesting. I would say, the thing is when we perform with Diggable, it be cats in the crowd um, that, they young, like they wasn't around when Diggable came out, you know what I'm saying? But they somehow picked up on it later on. 
and now they they rock with it you know which is always crazy and amazing as well as the old heads will come out and be like yeah you know i remember this and i, I was here when that happened so it's a good mix i would say like a 60 40 old mm -hmm. heads new on on the on the diggable on the shabazz one of the coolest shit that happens is when people be like man i was listening to shabazz i didn't even know you was in bigger plants you know what <laughs> i mean like that's always cool too so Man, it, it's a crapshoot on on how you're gonna reach people, how what they're gonna think, and you know it's any combination is possible. That's why you can't really trip on it unless you're making like, you know, pop music where you know, hey, these people listen to pop audience. You know what I mean? So you got to make this kind of thing, and it's gonna go here, and then they're gonna, it's gonna be consumed by them. That's more product based. It's like right. getting um, dishwashing liquid. You you want that mountain fresh scent or you want the lemon scent mm. oh i like lemon okay well you know you're getting that every time but um this style style of music is is like you kind of put it out there and see who comes who answers the call wow and you've had some pretty dope artists that have answered that call even like a flying lotus like that's a that's right in their wheelhouse so it's cool to see that there's genuine artists in the industry that know what you're on to you know yeah that's that's very special that is cool. So tell me, who who the, who the fuck is Purple Tape Tape Nate? Is that you or like I'm really confused on? Is that a persona or? <laughs> no, Purple Tape Nate is a um is a person that um at the time when I when we was rocking and was involved in another um deal situation and couldn't really flex as himself, but wanted to flex with me so. We just did it under moniker, you know what I mean? That that happens a couple of times in the Shabazz Palaces world, you know, or, you know, instead of relying on a person's name to add value to something before you even hear it, let the um hit, let the music uh, do its thing and then see how people react to that too. Just kind of like doing uh, performance art, like messing around a little bit and adding um, a little spice to the story, you know? Wow. Dude. Have you ever checked the Reddit threads on who Purple Tape Nate is? Tape? Is it Purple uh, Tape Nate? Nah, nah. Oh, there's there's Reddit threads. Some people think it's your son. Like who? <laughs> it's craziness. That's cool. That's cool. When is when is there going to be a song with you and Little Tracy? Even like you, he's been in your music video. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, um, we have a lot of songs together. Oh. Um, we haven't released any uh, <laughs> that people. That, that's credited as such. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, we talk about it all the time. You know what I mean? You know, um, we probably made 10, nine or 10 songs together. Yeah. That's so crazy. And, and he's actually very, you know, in terms of like my outlook on music in modern music, my relationship with him and my daughters, you know what I'm saying? Are, they keep me like, and fresh with the new stuff, you know what I'm saying? Because like old school cats, if it don't got a certain sound, a lot of old school cats will, 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 will automatically shut down to it, you know? Mm -hmm. But I like my kids um, and respect them. But but like I said, I love them obviously, but I like them as people and, and their taste and stuff, how they develop their own shit outside of whatever I was hitting them with. So I, then I'm able to like, you know, hear, hear a lot of new shit but i understand how to listen to it now more and that helped me like 
get involved, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, that helps me a lot in, in my musical out, outlook. It's wild that you guys are from two de- different generations and you each have like, whether you guys see it or not, diehard fans. Like you guys yeah. both have made a different generation of music. Like Little Tracy, Little Peep sound. Yeah. There's kids that are just, that's their, that's their Jesus. Yeah, I was, um, <laughs> I was in LA and he's living in LA now. You know what I'm saying? His sisters will tell you this too. Like, <laughs> like I was in this studio by Venice, um, working on some shit. He came down and so for lunch and shit, whatever, we kicked it. We went to Venice, got some sh- uh, shit to drink, walked up and down. And like you can't go ten steps with that dude. Like, oh man! And, and you know, a lot of shit happened. A lot of times, it would be like people would be like, "Yo, man," and like show a tattoo or peep or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And I, that's when I I always knew that it was huge. I mean, they got they got like um, videos and shit with like a billion streams and all that kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? So, but it's 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 ill to see how many people really you know felt peep. You know, that feel jazz and that I like you said, they're just like, like real, 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 real diehard fans. You know what I mean? And most of them are, are pretty cool too. Like they, they look cool, they they're real respectful, but they like excited as well. So it's cool to see that. It's wild. I was because I look look up hip hop so much, like you know, like my Google ads or Google News will always be like hip hop related things. So yeah. literally ten minutes before we got on the Zoom call. This is somehow an article, like a little peep, a little Tracy mixtape just got put onto streaming services after five years. And like, that's what's making headlines right now. I'm like, wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. He was, he was like, he was very like, um, just like, so when he was younger, he, he lived here for a while and he was in middle school at the time and he was like, not really into going to school that much. me and him would like be at odds just about you know whatever doing your homework and shit like that you know but so then later later but but he was always in the music he would sit down with the guitar and just mess around with it for hours and shit mess around with the equipment for hella and i realized like okay like he definitely has the interest and the passion to sort of work your way from beginner to being able to do shit and i i, I that's when i realized okay he He's got what it takes. Obviously, his mom is hot too, you know. So he got the music shit from, from both sides. But the little guy knew, man, that he he just had a plan from when he was really young about the rap game and what he was, how he was gonna participate in it. And he ended up really like seeing that happen, making it happen, you know, like. And it was real organic, man. Him and his guys were just doing their thing, like coming up with the styles that they felt like doing and it was different than other motherfuckers shit so it's just like what can you say they did it on their own they did their own thing he was always like he never was like um dad do this for me or dad help me do this like information wise maybe but in terms of like he always wanted to do his own thing and let it be about him that um and his music and his guys that that that's what he was getting credit for so what he did do you think he recognized you as an artist yourself or do you think he just thought of you more as that's just my dad (laughs) he he did you know he recognized because he's very observant very keen and he was around like he was around 
during the recording of Black Up, which I recorded at the house. Mm. He was there, you know what I mean? And he was also there for when, when I put out the first two Shabazz CDs, I didn't put my name on it or no diggable stuff, you know? And I think he, you know, he was like, I see, you know, like you want the music to be how you get to a place rather than who you are, who your parents are, what your name is, that kind of thing. So wow. some of those things, I think he just picked up game just by being on the set at the time. You know? Wow. Did, did you ever get the chance to meet Little Peep? I never met Peep. Wow. You know what's crazy? I actually met someone that I was associated who is associated with you when I first because this podcast has been around for like two years. So when I first started, I tried to find like all these different programs I could be part of, and a, one program I came across was Totem Star, and I met mm -hmm. Thaddeus Turner through him through oh. Totem Star. So that's crazy. That's like a full circle. No doubt. That's that's my bro. He when I got back to Seattle and like I think it was maybe like man. I forget, maybe like 03 or 04, he was in this group called Matu with uh, Reggie Watts mm. and uh, a couple other bad cats, but it was like a indie rock kind of sounding group that was playing guitar. And I, I got back, I went to see him at the Sky Church. And when I saw him play, I was just like, yeah, I'm about to start playing guitar. You know, so I ended up meeting him, getting cool with him. And now that's my big bro, but he taught me a lot of stuff, music stuff, guitar stuff really pushed me um, into another direction in terms of writing music and recording music. And him and his brother, Gerald, who plays bass, uh, we had a group called Cherry Wine together that was before um, um, Shabazz Palaces, but we signed to a label and then the label ended up like going out of business before the record came out. So yeah, that's my, my big blow in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, one of my final questions for you. Mm -hmm. What's what's with you and muscle tees? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I just I like the freedom of just having my. I rather I I I didn't have a shirt on at all. Like all my friends tease me, like they'll call me on Facetime, be like, "Oh, you got a shirt on? What's going on with you?" So I don't know, man. I just always like to have a shirt off, but if I do have it on, I like to have them as much freedom as possible. So I'm always cutting off the sleeves. Wow. All that. And yeah. can you break down your music video? I really enjoyed it, but I'm still confused on, there's definitely a deeper meaning for it. So can you break down like you seeing yourself at the pool and then at the end of the video, you're at the pool and then vice versa is up at the, on the balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the video is called Selfie Side, right? So it's like death by selfie, you feel me? So it's like I took that um, that word and, and sort of the, the scenes that play out in the video is kind of like a metaphor for that, where it's just like studying yourself, studying your own image. You can get replaced by the veneer of yourself and find yourself outside of yourself looking back in mm. and maybe not recognizing um, what you have become spending so much time paying attention to you to yourself you know wow it was beautifully shot thanks that's uh my man Stephen gray man he's he's a cold cat we uh we do a lot of stuff together he's been making his bones in seattle um directing cinematographer for a long time and we uh we got a lot of stuff coming too so shout out my man steph 
a lot of cats on the hip hop scene known from working with him too. So yeah, he shot that uh, video and that came out pretty slick. Hell yeah. Oh, two more things. Okay. When I was searching through YouTube, looking at your guys' old interviews, festivals, I thought it was cool that in way one way or another, like you're associated with Tyler the Creator. So that's that's dope that you guys have performed the same festival and like then like they you have that interviewers talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it was cool, like uh, our future and Shabazz kinda um was um was coming out at the same time. Mm. And I'm a big Earl Sweatshirt fan. So I got a chance to meet him at a couple of the festivals as well. But um yeah, we 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 started rocking as that as they their phenomenon was starting as well. So just being able to see that and, and get the Brennan and them cats here and there was definitely definitely hella cool. Has has Shabazz can collab with Adult Swim yet? I feel like that's just something that Yeah. Um we've done um, you know how they do the singles, okay. those singles. I think we've done two, and they've used um some some music for a a bump or two. I think they used some um, Shabazz and Flying Lotus for oh. a bump, and um yeah, we've been in a singles club That's a couple so dope. Of times, or at least once, I'm sure. Wait, was Four Ray Runner on? Was that an Adult Swim? I think they might have used it for something, um, but I don't know for sure. But I'm a, I was an adult swim fan long before I even thought about Shabazz Palaces. So it was crazy to get those calls, man, and get to work with them cats. Wow, wow, shit. shit! You ever seen Off the Air? Yes, I love all that shit. That shit's amazing, bro. That shit's amazing. I just yeah. I just want to let you know as just a Seattle being I'm only 20 and I just I have come to realize like how important whether you see it or not you are to the culture of music to Seattle and I I really do appreciate you taking time to do this man and I think that Seattle Seattle is like it we're we're so lucky to have a Shabazz Palaces and Ishmael Butler I, don't, I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me on and being patient because I know I'd be um, slaffing, sloughing sometime. But shout out Seattle, man. Seattle's a fly place. I appreciate everything Seattle gave me. All the old heads that raised me up, all the blocks in the, in the, in the, in the city, the central district, South End Cats, Valley Cats, West Seattle Cats, it's all that, man. Seattle's a dope place. All the young brothers and sisters out there rhyming and doing their thing. Putting Seattle on the map, keeping it there. Young people doing their podcasts and all that cool shit, man. I, I love it all. So stay up and stay strong with it all. Hell yeah. What's the easiest for, way for people to reach you? Um, on on, on uh, Instagram, Shabazz Palaces, Instagram. There we go. This is the NAS Podcast with... Ishmael Butler.